keep the matches lady you need him here about as warm as a cry for help. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Alex from the Skeleton Crew Horror Podcast. Jerry's asked me to submit a little audio clip here, just talking about Psycho 3 and, you know, my thoughts on it, because for anyone who runs in our circles, it's pretty well known that this is my favorite Psycho movie. So I think Jerry was just looking for that perspective during his big Psycho 3 show here. Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it's my favorite. For one, the Psycho, the entire Psycho franchise is something that's sorely underrated. Psycho 1 will always be regarded to as such an amazing classic, and I think that is almost why the rest of the franchise is just null and void. I think people think that movie is so good, anything they did to capitalize afterwards or continue or top you know however people want to see these types of things i think they just think there's no point to that and there's no way they could be good but the sad part is or the good part for anyone who's willing to give these movies a shot is that they're great at least psycho 2 and 3 are 4 i used to like and then when the skeleton crew did their psycho retrospective in april of 2013 i realized hmm yeah it isn't that great Both my co-hosts, Dan and Jamie, pointed out a lot of reasons why that movie really falls short and just doesn't understand anything. But let's get back to Psycho 3. And even in comparing it now to Psycho 2, we already discussed why people don't take it seriously based off Psycho 1. So let's now take it from Psycho 2. Psycho 2, to those people who do give these movies a chance, is regarded as their greatest sequel. When putting it together with 3 and 4. Psycho 2 seems more like Psycho 1. The tone, the music, the atmosphere. But a lot of the reasons they cite Psycho 3 as not being very good are reasons that are actually found intact when you watch Psycho 2. For example, the gore. People think it's too gory and it turned into a typical slasher. Need I remind you, in Psycho 2, you got a knife rammed down somebody's throat, the doctor got knocked off the stairs and a knife rammed through his chest, the young boy in the basement, who was about to have sex with the girl, gets butchered as he's trying to escape out of the window, an old lady gets hit over the head with a shovel, the guy who used to run the motel, Mr. Toomey, gets his face slashed and butchered to death inside the office but people just overlook that as if it didn't happen and as if Psycho 3 is the only movie to take a knife out and kill somebody so why do people feel this way? I think Psycho 3 just has some sleazy undercurrent and it makes people feel uncomfortable and they don't know why something about it is it just makes them very uneasy it's probably the same feeling you get if you watch Crimes of Passion or Edge of Sanity, which, I might add, both starred Anthony Perkins. You have to remember that Psycho 3 was directed by Anthony Perkins, and he was a bit of a sexual deviant. He was a bisexual man in Hollywood during a time when it was more acceptable than it was when James Whale was homosexual, but still something that was seen 
as taboo for the most part, seen as something you should really keep hidden. So a lot of that comes through in Anthony Perkins' filmmaking, the way he shoots things, the way he lights rooms, the way he portrayed the sexual scenes of Duke and the woman he picked up from the bar. So that strange feeling that makes people uneasy and leaves you feeling a little dirty is what most people don't like about Psycho 3. But if you can look past that and look at the passion, look at the homages to Psycho 1, look at the brilliant directing, the cutaway scenes, the lighting, the filmmaking in general, the care, the thought put into everything. If you could just look at this movie in a different light, you will see that it is one of the greatest slashers of the 1980s. It's psychologically twisted, yet thoughtful. It's eerie. You have to remember that nobody knows the character of Norman Bates like Anthony Perkins does. So what you're in fact getting here is, with him at the helm directing this movie, not only are you getting Norman Bates as the central character in his natural setting, but you are seeing the world through the eyes of Norman Bates himself. The man that brought that character to life, Anthony Perkins, is creating the visual design in which you will see this story unfold. How many times do you get a privilege like that? Anthony Perkins and Norman Bates had so many parallels in life. When that camera was on, Anthony Perkins was Norman Bates. And in this movie, you will get the most intimate look into the character of Norman Bates, bar none. One of the things I like most about it is that it feels like just another day at the Bates Motel. When you watch Psycho 1, you know that it's the first movie, it's your introduction into the craziness that's going on at this motel. When you watch the second movie, it's heavily focused on the fact that Norman Bates is back after 22 years from the mental institution. He's back and he's trying to put his life together while Lila Loomis has tried to unravel his sanity. And all you can think about is, who's doing the killing? Is it Norman? Is he crazy again? But in Psycho 3, we already know what's up right from the beginning. Norman's back, full speed craziness. What's he gonna do? What goes down if you go to the Bates Motel? This movie feels modern enough that it feels like you can go to the Bates Motel today and this is how it would be. This is what would go down if we were all to really visit the Bates Motel and Norman Bates was the guy running it. And that's the amazing part of it. It's really a perfect trilogy to me. I realize that not everybody feels that way, but to me, it's a perfect trilogy. It's all we need. And obviously a lot of other people felt real strongly about it because we have a great show on A&E called The Bates Motel. This past week was riveting. If anybody's missing that show, check it out. It might be on Netflix. I know it's on Blu-ray. Jerry, just want to thank you. want to thank Kenneth for doing this show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me for a suggestion. Can't wait to hear it, man. And thank you, everybody, for listening to me. I hope it was somewhat informative and helped contribute to this show as a whole. Please check out the Skeleton Crew Horror Podcast. It's our final year, 2017. We're winding it down, and we are done on Halloween night. We've been going for five long years. April 2nd is our fifth anniversary, so that's tomorrow. 
and Halloween night is our final show. Please check us out. Horrorphilia.com. The Skeleton Crew. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kill the Cast. This is a impromptu uh, bonus episode for you. Um, today on April 1st, 2017, it's April Fool's Day, and I'm joined by the Silent uh, Hill Fool himself, Kenneth. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, you're getting this episode because both of us just happen to have the day off. Yeah, like, Kenneth normally has weekends off, but I don't, and for some reason, I do. And I was just like, uh, Kenneth, I'm off Saturday. You uh, want to record something? Jay already had made plans because... Jay, like, actually goes out and lives his life as to where Kenneth and I don't. Um, And, uh, well, we decided to record, and uh, we were trying to think of what we should do. It was a little too late uh, for us to grab someone to do a Last Side on the Road episode. So um, I I asked Alex of the Skeleton Crew what he would – I was like, hey, you got any recommendations? What do you want to hear us do? He uh, recommended Spider Baby, but I don't have that, and um, I'm pretty sure you don't have that, Kenneth. No, I don't. Um, I need to get it, though. It has a Blu-ray release from Arrow. I just don't know if it's region-locked or not, and I don't have a free player yet. Here recently, I have been spending so much money on movies that I have to stop. I hear that. I, um... Yeah. Okay, so, Alex then said Psycho 3, because if you don't know... From our intro, uh, that is Alex's favorite movie of all time. And um, no one really talks about Psycho 3. No one really talks about any of the Psycho sequels. Um, it's, it's, it's as if they don't exist um, in this world. Like, like, I hear more people talk about how the Omen sequels need more love. But I never hear anyone go, oh yeah, the Psycho sequels, so good. No one, No, no one talks about them. No one says good, bad, nothing. Radio fucking silence. Well, I don't know if that's really an unfortunate thing. I mean, because, you know, like you were saying about The Omen, the sequels to The Omen, people constantly say that they need to be, you know, beefed up, director's cut, whatever. But you never hear, whereas you never hear anybody, like you said, say anything good, but you don't hear any shitty stuff about these sequels either. And in my personal opinion, and I think you you agree with me, the only shitty one in the sequels was probably the fourth one. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I haven't watched the fourth one yet. I can't say anything about it yet. I, um, I've got it. I've just never got around to watching it. So I didn't even see Psycho two or three until this past year when I was listening to the Skeleton Crew early 2016, and they had done a retrospective from years ago on it and I was going through the back catalog and I heard it and I was like, damn, I really should watch psycho two and three with the way they're talking. I've never even thought about watching the sequels because who would fucking watch a sequel to psycho? Like it's fucking psycho. It's, it's a near perfect movie. There's no reason to add or there's no reason to do anything with that movie. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about it is, is that fortunately for us, the sequels didn't follow the same kind of format as the first movie. No, both uh, Psycho 2 and Psycho 3 
do their completely own thing. And both of them are completely different films also, even though both Kenneth and I agree that to us, Psycho 2 and 3 are one long film. Right. And even though I think the third one kind of nods, in my personal opinion, we'll get into it later because I know you disagree with me, but I think the third one nods to the first one a little more than the second one. Either way, you know, they're they're, they're, very interested to see your nods because I can I only saw one that I was like a clear like this is a uh, homage to the first one because otherwise they wouldn't have done it that bad. Yeah, we'll get into it in a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's the, the thing that I like about it the most is the fact that it Psycho 2 when it when it came out and. You know, because I remember watching this as a kid, too. This is another one of those that was, you know, a mom special. She liked them. And so I watched two and three when I was a kid. And uh, the cool thing about it was is it wasn't your generic, you know, sequel to uh, to a film. And in me, pers- in my personal opinion, Psycho was like the first to me. It was the first slasher movie. And, uh you know, it was one of those things where it's like I, I like the fact that it went in a completely different direction. You know, it wasn't another movie where you see Norman, you know, finally come out of the nuthouse 20 years later and he starts killing people again. Psycho 2 was not like that at all. You know, it and, and, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it because it gave more depth to the series. Unfortunately, I just don't think that the second or the third one got enough PR to make it a staple in in horror history, you know, and then on top of that, it being 20 years later and it not having Hitchcock's name attached to it, all the, all the, all the stuff that make the first psycho where it is at, in, in cult classic status. Yeah. But uh, to be honest, uh, after watching psycho two and three, I am like this, a, this is how sequels should be done, especially after a long hiatus. And especially when it's not being done by the original, director like but you have but like it was great they had the original actor if they didn't have anthony perkins then it wouldn't it probably wouldn't have worked but i still feel like like psycho 2 and psycho 3 are how you do sequels they have a great reason why it's 20 plus years later and with psycho 2 they did not go into the generic norman bates is back out and he started killing people again no it's it's a it's a fucking uh, it's a murder mystery movie it's like it's like Clue. Yeah, and that's another reason. I mean, that's one of those things that we're going to talk about a little bit later, too. That's the reason why I didn't find the second one or the third one, third one scary at all. I found them more interesting. They ah. were, I mean, I was thoroughly engulfed in what was going on in Norman's life. That's the reason why I enjoyed these movies so much. I don't find Psycho 2 and 3 scary. I find them thoroughly interesting. Mentally uh, I mean, just complete food for thought. That's what I think they are. They make me think. They make me think about the personality of this character. They make me think about his mental issues, what he went through. You know, the, I mean, all the things that I would that interest me in true crime is what makes me enjoy these two movies. One hundred percent, because I know the entire time in Psycho Two, the first time I watched Psycho Two, I was sitting there like. Shit, is is he doing it? No, because it's them. But then there's there's obviously someone else doing something because there's questions popping up that the two guilty parties d- don't know about. 
And then you come to the ending, and, and okay, before I go any further, there are spoilers for Psycho 2 and 3 in this. Um, and if you haven't seen Psycho 2 or 3, you really should watch them. But if you want to continue on, you're going to get spoilers. So, with that being said, the ending... I'm going to reiterate. I'm going to reiterate. If you have not seen Psycho 2, stop right now and watch it before you listen to the rest of this podcast. You... If you do not, we are about to ruin the end of the second movie. Yeah, and you can get uh, a DVD that has Psycho 2, 3, 4, and the made-for-TV movie Bates Motel that was made in, like, Australia or some shit on Amazon for, what, it was, like, less than $10 shipped or some shit? Yeah, I think, it was only, I think it was only a couple of bucks. Hell, Jay bought it for me. Yeah, um, I bought mine as soon as I finished the uh, Skeleton Crew retrospective. Um, and, That's when I wanted it. <laughs> yeah. Because then I was, because then I came to you and I was like, dude, have you seen Psycho 2 and 3? These are great hidden gems to show someone if someone's into like psychological horror. Um, And if they're into slasher horror, number three for sure. Um, Number two is way more psychological and more of a mystery. But uh, like I was saying, with Psycho 2, you have this murder mystery going on and you, you, you don't know if the mysterious third party is Norman acting as the mom or not, especially once the end starts happening. And, uh, then you find out that, um, Norman's, uh, quote unquote, real mother was the, the lady from the diner, the old lady, uh, Emma, what was her name? Spool. Spool. Yeah. Spool. Spool's. And she comes Not spools, in. Spools, spool. Spool. Look, spool. if I nope. want to make shit plural, Kenneth, I'm going to make shit plural. <laughs> Don't you fucking tell me how to live my life, okay? Motherfucker. I would right, go ahead. fire you if I had any fucking power. But I don't. Because <laughs> I'm a bitch. Um, but, you act like we get paid. Uh... Go fuck yourself and finish what you were saying. <laughs> um, so you 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 have her come in and she's like, oh, yeah, I, I actually had the baby, but I was too uh, young and poor and out of wedlock. And I did something and I got locked up. And so so my sister, Norma, took the, the child and raised you. And then Anthony Perkins... Uh, who does such a fucking wonderful job as Norman? Just bashes her head in with a with a shovel, and it's the only oh my person. God, it, was great. it is the only person he kills in that movie. It was great too, man. I mean, he knocked the shit out of her. Dude. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. Sorry. It was no, no. You're right. It is fucking great. <laughs> so good. In fact, I, when I first <laughs> watched the movie, I was actually like, "What the fuck." Fuck this ending. This is stupid as shit. But then I watched Psycho 3. Well, the cool thing about it, though, the cool thing about the ending of that is, like we said earlier, everything that is said, which is very little, that leads up to that ending. And that was literally the end of the movie. When everything that leads up to that, you all think you think it's all part of Norman being being crazy. You think it's all part of his psychosis. To come to find out at the very end of the movie that what he was thinking, because every once in a while he'll say that his mother, the the mother from the first one, wasn't his real mother. That he has that, you know, he has another mother that he talked to on the phone and blah, blah, blah. He says that throughout the movie. 
And, but you you think that Norman's just nuts, you know, because Norman's nuts. And so you think to, you think that he's just being crazy and come to find out at the very end of it, his whole story was true. Yeah, she was on the phone and, and they play it so well because you literally don't know if Norman is crazy and just hearing the voice of mother in his head or is he playing, uh, oh, damn, her name was Mary, right? Why is every chick that, that Norman is interested in, like, name starts with an M and has short hair? Those are all nods to the first one. I know this, but even with the first one, like, like dude, Norman. There are some other chicks out there. You do not have to get the exact hey, same chick constantly. Who's the actress that played her in the first one? Uh, Janet Lee. Janet Lee, yeah. Okay, she was hot. So I would totally, you know, go. Uh, I'm not saying they're not hot. I'm just saying. And then on top of that, and then on top of that, as far as we know, you know, you you got to take into consideration from a, from a mental standpoint. Of course, Norman is always going to want to go back to that instance, and it's not just—it's not just a quote-unquote sexual preference for him, you know. From from a from a uh, uh, from to coin the phrase from a psycho standpoint. From a psycho standpoint, you heard it here first on Kill the Cast, Kenneth. Psycho standpoint. From that, uh, but really think about it, man. I mean, that aside from when he killed his mom. As far as we know, that was his very first kill. Was uh, killing that lady. It was killing yeah. that lady in the shower. So well, he's automatically going to always going to go back to that because that was his. <laughs> that was his that, magnus opum. That was his right. It it was his first sexual experience if, that didn't if, if involve could, his mom. Oh wait, it didn't right. involve his mom the, still. But you get what I'm saying. To to kind of, it's hard to explain without getting this will segue right into three because my feelings on three is there's a lot of sexual overtones in three aside from the fucking shit that's right out in your face. Um, and, and so to, if you, if you really look into, you know, uh, serial killers and things like that, it is always for the most part linked to something sexual always is, you know, a lot of times, you know, you got your killers that go out there and they kill people and that's the only way they can get off. The rest of the time, they're just pure, they're just purely impotent. So I think the link between Norman's sexuality with the kill of Crane in the first one is what is what links everything else together. That's the reason why there was no character that looked like her in the second one because in the second one it wasn't he wasn't doing anything. Yeah, we still had a short hair chick, but she had black hair. It was very very different. Um, but I think you are. 100% right now. I'm not sure if if Crane was his first kill or not because they do talk about there being like other things in that swamp, I want to say. Um, That's the reason why I'm saying, but we don't ever know for sure. Yeah. The only, the only kill before Crane that we know for sure was his mama. Yeah, and, but it does. It does show – there because if you watch Psycho 2, there's actually not a whole lot of uh, – sexuality there even between him and uh her name is mary right in the second one because this is bothering me pull it up on imdb real quick i'm going to uh, yeah i'm going to but it doesn't even really feel like he has tons of sexual like frustration towards her exactly and that's the reason why you don't have a character that looks like crane in the second one versus the third one where there's a lot 
a lot of sexual innuendo in this, and there's a lot of in-your-face sexual stuff in this. I mean, hell, Duke himself is a character that's completely based around sex. So you've got all those sexual overtones, and then, like I said, I real I will really get into it for the third one because yeah. it's everywhere. Um, her her name is Mary. It is Mary Loomis. I was pretty sure it's Mary, but I mean, since I I watched the second one just so I could have the link to the third one. I didn't take any notes on it. I just took notes on number three. Um, Same thing. Same for me. That's the reason why I couldn't remember. Yeah, but uh, Psycho 2 almost feels a little neutered in that sense, and it's a a much slower movie. It is not because Norman is not exactly crazy in that movie. He, He is actually pretty sane, and that movie is the snap that happens to him that makes the third one possible. And... I am so glad the third one's possible because to me, even though I do love Psycho 2, Psycho 3 is way better. It is way more entertaining. It is way more intriguing. It is way more interesting because even though we don't have this murder mystery and we know it's Norman doing it, it is just so much fun watching Norman go through all these moments of torment and... It almost feels like watching Psycho one again, but getting to, but knowing everything this time. So right. you get to watch him go through the shades of torment, anguish, and, and nervousness. And you even look at in Psycho two, his nervousness is nervousness is very very slow paced. And you want He's, me to explain why I related this one to the first one? You literally just explained it for me. Well, I didn't think about that before until I started talking, Kenneth. Damn, Damn dude. You're smarter than I am, okay? You literally you just explained it for me. Uh, but but it's true, though, because you watch Psycho 2, and his nervousness is, is much slower, and he has more of a pause and more of a stutter. But you start in the beginning of Psycho 3, like when he meets Duke and shit, he's just talking a mile per fucking minute. He is going. And, and this is something else that I've, ever, I've, that I've got in my notes. And this is kind of off the topic of the depth of the movie. Have you ever noticed that Norman sounds different? Literally, the sound is different from everybody else. Think about it the next time you watch it. He has no echo. None. He, he His voice sounds like it did for the recordings of Psycho. Damn. Everybody, I... everybody else in the movie has echo. Like, it... it it's almost like they are more alive than he is. That's it. No, I, di- I didn't catch that. My next watch, I'm going to have to really pay attention to that because I did not catch that. It's fucking weird, man. Man, like, that's... Especially, like, when he's in the diner, you know, when he goes in there to get the cheeseburgers for him and Duke? Yeah. And uh, that, that reporter, Tracy, that reporter chick comes up and starts fucking with him. All right? When everybody else is talking, you can hear the echoes of their voices inside the diner, except for Norman's. That is fucking crazy. And he, you know, and it's at the point where Tracy shows up where he starts going from very fast pace to slowing down. But he never gets as slow as Psycho 2. He always still has, he has a bit, his nervousness has more of an edge in this one because he's actually guilty and he's actually fucking crazy in this one. And I think it's very interesting to watch him start the movie. Where he is, we know he's already crazy because he just killed someone who's been missing. Uh, this movie is like, what, two months after Psycho 2, I think? It's a couple of months. Sh- I'm not sure. 
they make a statement of how long uh, Spool has been missing. Right. So it can't be too long because they're still looking for her. And, you know, after a certain amount of time, they stop giving a shit. They just stick her on a milk, milk carton and let it go. Yeah. She didn't get a milk carton. She just got newspaper clippings. Um, well, I'm talking about when they get close to the end of their searching. Yeah. But, like, still, nonetheless, it, it's crazy uh, watching his evolution between the three movies. Because in each time, you you do feel it's the same character. But Psycho 2 is this weird bridge between them. Because in Psycho 1, he's crazy. Psycho 2, he's pretty sane. And then Psycho 3, he's back-to-back shit crazy. And watching that evolution... You're right. This might be one of the best trilogies out there. This is up there with like Star Wars original trilogy status. As far as I'm concerned for all three movies having a very strong consistency and all three of them being solid films. And you know why I think this one has so much depth? The reason why it does is because Anthony Perkins directed it. Yeah, you know what's crazy is he actually went to the guy who directed the second movie and was like, will you co-direct this movie for me, with me? And the guy was like, no, I'm not interested. Um, And there's actually a story where the uh, head cinematographer went up to Perkins and he was going to fuck with him. He was going to be like, so show me how you blocked out this scene, thinking that Anthony did not have it blocked out already. And he had it blocked out to a T. He knew where every shot was, where it was going to be, how it was going to be done, everything. Like, for your first directing job to knock it out of the park like this, that is crazy because this movie, like, the like the lighting of it is, is creepy and it pushes a big thing that I'm going to get into involves the lighting. And that's, um, there's a quote from the producer. Um, I think he produces, he produced all three Psycho films. But he at least produced the second and the third. His name is Hilton A. Green. And he called the third film his least favorite of the sequels, feeling that it was too, it had too much graphic violence and too much nudity. And uh, I'm calling him bullshit. That is, it, first of all, it does not have that much violence over the second one. The, the yeah, I think, I think the in-your-face gore was a lot more predominant in the second one than this one. Yeah, and as for nudity, you literally see one more set of boobs and one one uh, one more ass. But in Psycho 2, you get a glimpse of Bush. You don't get that in Psycho 3? Right. So But you know, I mean I don't I don't think in my personal opinion this goes into what I what I said earlier. I don't the nudity really wasn't a big deal in my in you know and going past the fact that I love nudity in every movie that I watch you know going past that and really getting into it from a technical standpoint I really don't think the nudity I think the nudity fit and the reason why I think it fit is because of the sexual overtones or undertones that that are all over this movie I agree but people always talk about how psycho 3 is is so sleazy, and that's why they don't like Psycho 3. It's, it's like Psycho 2 is good, but Psycho 3 is not good because it's too sleazy and too uh, too cheap. And personally, I disagree. There is a uh, a thing of, uh, uh, of sleaze here, and there are pieces that come off lowbrow, but those pieces set up a much higher range in this movie that you're that I just don't think these people are seeing because they're seeing this as a as well this is just a, a fucking generic slasher. 
And, right. and this film does have more slasher elements to it than the previous two. But I'm sorry, if you're not seeing the the beauty that is the mentality of this movie and how it deals with the depth of Norman's problems, then you need to rewatch this movie and pay the fuck attention to Norman and pay attention to his face and pay attention to how he speaks and how he moves and pay attention to his actions. I mean, this this at first I was looking at this movie as not being all about Norman. And then when I went through it a second time, I was like, okay, this movie is is 75 percent to 85 percent completely about Norman. And it's not just and it's not just where, you know, you're seeing the scenes with Norman involved in. It's not just that. It's the whole atmosphere of this movie is like it's almost like all this shit is taking place inside Norman's head. Yes. Now, granted, granted, we know this is an identity, but, you know, that's that's exactly what this seems like, is that this whole movie takes place inside Norman's head. Yeah. And in Psycho 2, I almost feel like like there is no main character like there's like I'm watching I'm just watching a set piece. Uh, I'm watching a chessboard, and and the queen and the knight are are the queen and the king are are the most important, but every step is what we're just watching a story unfold. Yes, I don't, I don't, I actually don't even attach to Norman as much. I pity Norman in the second one, but I don't attach to him because they don't fully go into his mental state and his problems. As to where in the third, they get really deep into it. Um. And, and, and I think the second one, because the second one's more of a mystery, more of a slow burn, it's, it's closer to how the first Psycho plays out, uh, airing the mystery more. Um, I think that's why people like it more as to where with Psycho 3, Psycho 3 is way more exciting. It's way, it has characters that really, really pop. And while, and I think... A lot of the fault for people getting jarred by Psycho 3 is the beginning. Because I will say, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the beginning. I, oh my I, god, man. As, as the movie just starts off with, with, there is no God. <laughs> literally, it's just her screaming, there is no God on a black screen. And then it goes into her, and it's just her character, like, rushing into a character where you're looking at the character from her worst fucking moment. We start there with her. We start with Maureen in her worst possible scenario, and that kind of really jars you. And then we go right into meeting the second next important character, or the second character of Duke, and he's really in your face, and he's got all these one-liners, and he's so cool and fucking hip, and, and, and then he gets all fucking rapey. While she's just this depressed chick who's walking around the desert like it's a fucking ending to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Like... (laughs) I think this movie, man, really gives uh, gives meaning to the phrase "we all go a little mad sometimes." Yeah, because if you because if you think about it, every main character in this movie is fucking crazy. Every one of them. Norman, we already know that Norman is fucking. You know, he went guano a couple months ago. Oh yeah, and you Maureen's know, super fucking shot out. Oh yeah, she's fucking nuts, man. I mean, she's goddamn trying to kill herself because she wants to fuck somebody. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, she's really has her face is strong, you know, and uh, and then to become a nun, you got to be nuts anyway. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. And then you've got this other lady, which I can't, uh, Tracy, I can't really pick it out because at first she seemed like she wanted to help Norman, but she went a complete 180 in like a span of a second. She She's kind of classic reporter, will do anything to get her story, and that's all well, she, she cares about. She only, she, like, I think her original sit down with Norman, she only acted like she was trying to help Norman because that was the scenario. But when other elements started happening and she meets Duke and then she go gets, we get to the hospital. Like she starts realizing there's a bigger fucking story here. And she stops giving a shit about her book that she's trying to write. And is now just chasing this, this dragon. That is this story of, of, of fucking Norman Bates going crazy again. And she's right in the fucking thick of it. Right. And then I, I actually equated her. Like, you remember how I was talking about the similarities between one and this one? Yeah. To me, she reminds me of the private eye. The only difference between her is that she wasn't hired by somebody. Exactly. She does She does kind of run his same gamut right. in this movie. Private Eye Detective. I couldn't remember. It's been so long since I watched Psycho. I couldn't remember whether he was a private eye or a detective. But the point is, is that that's who I attributed her to. And then you got Duke, who, okay, I love Jeff Faye. <laughs> he's great. But he's, and other than the lawnmower man, He's pretty much the same dude in everything he's in. He's weird. You know what I'm saying? He seems like one of those guys that you just would feel sullied and uncomfortable to be around. You know? And he does. He, he plays that character perfect. The only thing that I saw him in, like I said, was the lawnmower man where he, was, where he played the slow part of, the, of Job at the beginning before yeah. he got all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and I, think I played he did the that Super for, Nintendo game. I know. Uh, and and that, he played that part well. Did yeah. you ever watch The Lawn Mormon? Uh, yeah, but it's been like a decade and a half. Um, uh, but yeah, so he played that really well. But to me, I love him. But the character of Duke, if if anybody watches this and doesn't find Duke to be crazy, then something's wrong. Um, Even I, as, as much of an out there guy and as much as I love porn and whatever else, even I find that dude to be a little bit creepy. Yeah, he's very much a narcissist. You can see it in the bar scene when he's first talking to Tracy. But, I mean, you got to think about it. He also is so full of himself that this woman who is in complete distress that he picks up on the side of the road, as soon as it's, oh, well, we can't drive anymore, it's too rainy, he tries to rape her, and then as soon as that back, well, he tries to fuck her, and as soon as that backfires, it gives off the rapey feel, and she gets out of the car. He fucking is like, takes off and starts driving again. So apparently it wasn't uh, the that fucking, bad. The goddamn line that he gave her before he drove off. And you could have been coming instead of going. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, like, I, I cracked up. I was like, oh my God, yeah. what a dick. But who do you think is, is sleazier? Duke or uh, the hotel manager from Psycho 2 who gets fired? He, I well, think he's way sleazier. He looks like he looks like if Ron Jeremy had failed in life and still got fat. But that, see, that's the thing. That's the only reason why I think that the dude from Psycho Two comes off as being more sleazy because he looks sleazy. Duke does not look sleazy. Duke looks pretty. Yeah, he looks like he he owns ch- uh, child slaves on Tatooine in Star Wars Episode One. Yeah, but see, the thing about it is, is that's what makes Duke more scary. Dude, man. There is, uh, I have it in my notes, there is a scene in here when uh, uh, Norman and Maureen come back from dancing, and he tells Duke, alright Duke, you can go ahead and take off, and Duke's like, uh, 
yeah, boss. But that shot looking at Duke, Duke looks fucking scary. Like, really scary. And then, because we now know what he's going to do, well, now going back, we know that at this point he's going to go steal the fucking Norman's mom's corpse out of the house. Like, (laughs) it makes that scene way creepier and way more deviant and shows that he is crazy because no sane person is going to go steal a corpse to try to get money to further his 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 rock star career when he even says, "Oh, I have two other options, but in one would get me money, but I'm not doing those." Right. And the thing about it is is at that point, you know, that's that's really that scene where Norman comes in there and and he talks to Duke while while mother's body's sitting in the chair. When you when you see Duke and he's looking around and whatever, you're trying to decide at that moment whether he's all hopped up on cocaine or something. Or whether he's just that shot out. Yeah, because you don't you ever know? actually see him do any drugs in the movie. Uh-huh. Like, and and that scene that you were talking about literally just happened on my TV, and they did it perfectly to make him look more creepy. Because I don't know if you noticed, but they had his eye that white strip, that lighted up strip across his eyes where everything else was dark. Exactly, like they did some Bela Lugosi shit on him. Right, right, and it looked, and it looked, and it makes it look just as cool as it did back in the day. You know, it looks creepy as shit when you do that on somebody. Yeah, but I mean, like, but because you have characters like this and and because of how uh, more fast paced this movie is and because it do- it is later 80s, 1986, it does have a bigger slasher feel to it. All of this makes it seem like it's sleazier than it is, and it really isn't that sleazy. It is sleazy. I like. I'm not gonna sit here and act like it's not sleazy when Duke is super fucking rapey. Like, but I, don't I thought think- the scene where he's got the two lamps over his dick and he's shining the light on that redheaded chick was a little was more sleazy than that. Uh yeah. oh, man, that shit was funny because okay, so. He apparently was supposed to be sitting in that chair just nude, and he was un- the actor was uncomfortable with doing it, so they they had him do, like he got to hold the lamps instead. But when I saw that shit, I was just like, and then Duke left to become a porn director in Hollywood. <laughs> And then I have to say, after that, you know, like after they get done and the chick's trying to be all clingy on him and he throws her out, I got to give that chick credit, man. She took one hell of a hit in the sand naked as fuck. And did you see her kick that door? Yeah, Barefooted? dude. Fuck that yeah. noise. Uh-uh. Well, you, well, if you look close, you can see where she turned her toes up so that way she wouldn't break her toes. But uh, I was more blown away at the fact that she wasn't wearing nothing but a thong and she hit that ground hard. Yes. She actually... Did a really good job. I mean, let's talk about something for a second. Involving her. Okay. Now, we ha- he picked her up at the bar in town. So, we're assuming she lives in town. And we're also assuming that everyone in town knows about Norman Bates in his hotel because it's a big fucking story. Like, that's a huge thing that happened there. Okay? <laughs> she meets Norman and tries to get him to come back for a threesome with her and Duke. Now, now, let's not even talk about the fact that we have no idea how Duke would react to that, because I don't know if Duke's a sharer, but... He seems like the type. Let's, let's look at the fact that she, that she has to know who Norman is and invited him into a threesome. This bitch is crazy. 
or she's into our it shows why she's into dupe because she's into that like exciting um um very frightening dark kind of guy yeah i mean and that could have been it you know and you're right um i just think they kind of glazed over that whole factor and just wanted to try to add some kind of you know uh i'll be 100 percent honest with you this is where this is going to go okay this movie really goes into the correlation between mother and norman's sexual urges it's there in the first one but this one really brings it into the forefront because if you notice every time something every time he feels kind of sexual or something like that every time mother comes after that so think about it all right every time that that happens you see somebody get killed yeah. And so and and that's the reason why I feel like this movie has got so much of the sexual depth in it because it plays on that more than more than the first two. It really plays on it. You know? And uh like for instance, you know, after he uh he looked at her in the shower. You know what I'm saying? He was looking at her and she was getting ready for the shower as a matter of fact. I think that's one of the worst scenes is the actual her in the uh you know like it's almost like she's forcing the stretch of her hands in front of what he the peephole that he's looking at either way went right after that happens that's when he goes down there with the knife and he's got this and he's got the outfit on and everything and then he sees that she has slit her wrists and that's where he saves her life because the moment that he sees a damsel in distress he comes out of it yeah so here and, and here's the other thing like that scene like okay We've seen a lot of people kill themselves in bathtubs in movies. Mm-hmm. That the one in Psycho Three is beautiful. Like I, when, whenever I see that scene, I am just sitting there like almost I thought, speechless. I, I thought the special effects on her wrist were great. They did. Um, but her seeing Norman dressed up as mom and then it turning into the Virgin Mary with the cross, like it is, it is crazy. Now, like, the other thing that I didn't like was about when oh, he was about that, I was about to say, was it because it was it the fact that Norman uses the same spoon to put sawdust in birds that he uses for peanut butter? I wasn't going to talk about that, but that is really nasty. Um, <laughs> but, uh. No, 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 no. The other thing about it, I did not like. Don't I did not like the music, that that kind of chanting, that was going on in the background when when Norman's looking through the peephole, as she's getting naked. I really didn't like the chanting, man, because to me that gave it that, that tried to bring, the chanting, it it gave the wrong it it gave the wrong ambiance. I agree. The chanting should have only have been there when we when when Maureen is looking at uh norman and he's turning into mary that is the only right. time that chanting should have been there the rest of the chanting yeah that was a bad call i agree with you there because it's kind of like uh it, 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 it's almost like they're trying to put that demonic spiritual shit in there and yeah. norman norman psychosis does not have anything wrapped around religion at all no Maureen's it doesn't does. yeah and i guess they're trying to put it on her but they should have only kept it from her perspective and let's because right but the whole scene before he opens the door to find her 
we both agree is just not that good. It is one of the low scenes in the movie because her stretching out and showing her off just doesn't work. I, I just don't I mean, it's it. like she's tired. Yeah. There's no way she's doing all of this shit. I'm about to slip my wrist, but let me do this fucking kind of striptease thing in front of people. Exactly. Um, it, it, it I mean, just, granted, she didn't know it was there, but that's exactly what it looked like. And that's and, and that on top of it, man, she doesn't know the peepholes there, but she's doing like this fucking striptease kind of thing. What chick? Okay, I've been in relationships. You're currently in one. What fucking chick do you know that actually fucking takes her clothes off like that? None. Not not unless I'm watching. Right, and not unless they're I, intentionally trying to do it yeah. because you're sitting there fucking, you know, with your dick in your hand. Yeah. Other than that. Literally, like... That shit doesn't happen. If no one's watching, this doesn't happen. I'm sorry, but if you're a guy who watches chicks undress without them knowing, not once have you seen them do a strip tease for you unless their phone's out and they're Snapchatting it to their boyfriend. It, right. it, it, it doesn't fucking Or the happen. whole fucking world for that goddamn matter. You know? Yeah. Um, but, like, they're... But the bathroom scene is actually really well shot. There are a lot of good just really well done scenes in this movie. Like um, there's a scene when uh, Norman and Duke first meet and uh, Duke's telling how he's not going to stay for long. And it shows Norman. He's got the big owl behind him and he's just like, no one ever does. I was just like, man, the fact that we have him saying that with a bird of prey behind him, that is fucking epic. That or the, or, or the line that fucking Duke made when he's walking in back here said the spider to the fly. Yes, exactly. I mean, you're just setting it up right there. That's foreshadowing like a motherfucker. Yeah, and then, so, and, and then, like, right after that, we have such a huge callback to Psycho 1 because when Maureen shows up to the diner when Norman is talking to Tracy, MC is on the suitcase, and you can already tell that uh, Norman is, is already seeing uh, Janet Lee's character. Right. In the in this blonde girl because of how similar they look. And then when she comes in and she has the exact same fucking initials. It's just yeah, like that, was, it, that one was blatant. Yeah, and I and at first I was kinda like, uh, I don't know if I like that. But then I thought about it from Norman's point of view, and it's almost like Norman in, in the second movie trying to question if someone's fucking with him or if this is just a weird coincidence that's happening to him right now. Like Fate has intertwined him to bring back mother. Right. All of it. And and that's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I meant. You explained it a little while ago. Everything about this movie falls into place for Norman to reenact what happened in Psycho in his own mind. Yeah. But they they do it in such a new, interesting way. And, And it's hard to tell a similar story from a from a different point of view. This isn't the exact same story from Psycho 1. No. But it, it is his life being that weird coincidence that everything is happening again, just like the first time. Um, right. Holy but shit, that's why Alex it, loves this movie. You know how Alex right. is always talking about all the coincidences and weird shit that happens in his life? That's why he likes Norman. Norman's this is a fucking walking, like, holy shit, look at this coincidence. Right. And that, that's what I'm saying, man. I mean, this this I, I I honestly think that most people didn't like this movie because they couldn't understand the depth of it. I mean, this movie is so deep. I've watched it. This is the, the time that I've got on the TV right now is the third time in a row. Yeah. And I'm still picking up shit. 
Oh, a hundred percent. There is there. Oh man. Like, and because there's little things that like Norman does that sets you off. Like, um, when Norman comes down, um, right after Maureen gets the room from Duke and she's mm-hmm. going to unlock the room, you see Norman come by and he's all like kind of happy. And then he just stops dead in his track and like hides behind the pole, like a fucking creeper. And kind of, like, stares at her, and it's like, you, like, at first you're like, okay, that's creepy, and then you think about it from Norman's perspective, and he's probably like, not, wait, she's going into cabin one? It's it's all happening again. Right. That's that's it. That's it. That's setting it up right there. Right. You know, it, it's almost like it's the beginning of the story again, but it's from Norman's perspective. It's not from the outside world's perspective. This whole movie is from Norman's perspective, how everything is going on and affecting Norman's life. And if you look at it and, and if you go into it and you even look at it deeper, look at the inside of Norman's house, man, in two versus this one. In two, it was all clean. Everything looked great and so on. And the further that Norman gets into his psychosis, the more he neglects things. And if you look at it close inside his house now, everything in the fucking house is covered in like an inch coat of dust. Yeah. Everything. And let's also talk about the hotel rooms. And, and this could just be because of the director choices. But if you look at the hotel rooms from the second movie compared to the third, you get to see two main rooms. You get to see uh, Marine's room and Duke's room. Now, Marine's room has this, like, shade of pink and purple, like a very uh, light sexual touch to it, almost like a uh, uh, like if Nicholas Sparks made a porno. Like, this is how he would light it, you know? Then you look at Duke's room, and it's fucking dark, but even his shades give off a color. And then you look at the back room, right when uh, Norman uh, slices the chick's throat on the toilet... Like, Mm -hmm. it cuts to when he comes in back in as himself, and you have that green light showing on him, and then the green light showing on the owl. Like, the lighting is is so important in this movie. It sets such an ambiance through this movie. Almost like how the first movie, uh, the music was setting it. In this movie, the lighting sets it. And and the lighting also kind of helps in the people's defense of... This is why it's sleazy because it does make it sometimes come off looking a little little 80s neon sleaze. This movie does to, have that feel. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe the inside of Duke's room. Um, it's almost looking through uh, it's your all, your teenage bedroom? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about I'm talking about the lighting itself. I'm not talking oh. about all the pictures of the fucking asses uh. and titties on the walls. The, the the lighting in his room has got like this reddish look to it. It's almost like um, it's got like this reddish orange. It's almost like um, like looking through a fucking a, a red glass Tiffany lamp. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like looking through uh, you know those cheap plastic fucking uh Coca Cola cups that you that you see at fucking cheap uh yeah at cheap well, pizza places yeah, and shit. CC's. Yeah, shit like that. That's exactly the color if you were to look at the inside of his room through one of those cups. Yeah. That's exactly the color of his room. Yeah, that's right, CC's. I called you cheap. You fucked. And I think that's I think that's the reason for it, you know, the, to to actually use that word perfectly cheap. Because that's the kind of person that he is. He's 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 sleazy and kind of on the edge of trashy and and you know very uh, a fucking old pervert. 
Yeah. You know, you know, so it's like uh, I, I completely agree with you that each each different setup for for each different shot for each different character is is done perfectly to match that type of person. Yeah, it changes all throughout this movie as where Psycho 1 or Psycho 2, I should say, kind of stays the same throughout the entire movie. It all looks the exact same way. But with Psycho 3, you get this buffet. You get this feast of, of, of scenes constantly changing and the angles changing and everything being so drastic. Like, but you got to understand, people, it's all done like that on purpose. It's not... You're, you're not looking deep enough. You're just seeing the sleaze that's on top and not looking deep and seeing the the fucking inner turmoil that is in this movie. You need to really watch this movie and put and really dig yourself into Norman's mind and you will see it like we see it because there because every everybody's crazy. The old, and that's the reason why you don't see a whole lot of focus on the kids that are partying there. Because the kids that are partying there are just having a good time and doing what kids do. Yes, 100%. You know? um, That's the reason why there's not a whole lot of focus on them other than, you know, Chick taking a piss. And I think she, was, I think that was more of just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I want to talk about that scene real quick. People like to point out that scene as like, oh, look how gross it is. And I'm like, and, and, and I'm like well, I mean, people use the bathroom and, and you're vulnerable there. Like that's, you're, you're, you're very vulnerable there that's a very like intimate thing you're you shouldn't be looking at that scene sleazy it's not like it's not a joke it's not done as potty humor so to speak it is it is someone who did something just very nice and woke up maureen to tell her hey your door is open and these guys are partying they're drunk you know i don't want anything to go bad and your door's open you're sleeping i want to wake you up and save you and then she goes on to use uh, the bathroom, and I won't really say. I, well, I take back my previous statement. I won't really say, you know, wrong place, wrong time. I mean, you know, it is kind of like that, but it's not. She made a piss poor choice of going in. She's a chick that, you know, how mother feels about you know women. They're all whores, and so when she goes in there and she drops her and she drops her skirt or whatever, and she sits down, there's a naked chick in in Norman's bathroom in the thing. So obviously, you know, she's gonna get killed. But uh, you know, um, and I agree with you on that on that instance right there. But I also think I think I, I, wasn't it the first Psycho movie that was one of the first times we saw a toilet in a scene in a movie. I think so. I think it has that distinguish, but because I because I think that's that's one of the that's one of the things that's always talked about, isn't it? Is that you actually get a clear shot of a toilet in a movie? Yeah, and, and I just I just don't think people pay enough attention to the scene before the toilet scene to understand that it shows how crazy Norman's vision of his mom is because this lady just did something super nice that she did not have to do. She is a good person. But like Kenneth just said, every woman is a whore to Norman Bates's mother or Norman Bates's idea of what his mother is. And in her death is a scene that shows Norman's mother taking advantage of a good person in a vulnerable situation. It's showing how bad Norman's mother is. Not that this is it, oh, she got fucking her throat slit while she was on the toilet. Gross. Like, 
okay, this isn't just, this isn't like when someone gets killed in a Friday the 13th movie when demons taking a shit. It's not the same thing at all. You need to understand the, the, the depth of what we're looking at and understand that this is a representation of something and not just some cheap kill. Right. She was in there for a reason. Well, she was killed for being in there for a reason. That's the reason why I retracted my statement. It wasn't just a wrong place, wrong time thing, because that thought process hit me right after I said that. When I explained uh, the second part of it about, you know, a naked woman being in, uh, you know, in uh, Norman's bathroom. And then also you got to take into consideration the the uh, back then or even earlier than that in, quote unquote, Norman's mother's time. A man watching a woman go to the bathroom wasn't exactly, you know, how, what's the best way that I can put it, Jerry? Um, that shit it's, didn't happen. Yeah, it was kind of taboo. You that if you were into that back in, let's say Norman's mom grew up in the what thirties, forties. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, you didn't. That was a no go. Uh, uh-uh. uh, you weren't even. Women didn't even use the bathroom back then, like. To, according to a guy, a man did not see a woman, you know, poop that, that yeah, doesn't so, exist. Yeah. So that kind of furthers into what I was saying. I mean, cause it's like, you know, from Norman's mother's perspective, a woman to be, you know, a, a strange woman to be, you know, naked and in, in her son's, you know, uh, parlor's bathroom using the bathroom. I mean, you know, that was just, that's a no, no, Sorry, bitch. Uh, throat's getting slit. But that was 20 years ago. 22. A long time for someone to harbor revenge. Aren't you the least bitter about what Lila Loomis tried to do to you? I understand. My cure couldn't cure the hurt I caused. My return to sanity didn't return the dead. There's no way to make up that loss. The past is never really past stays with me all the time and no matter how hard i try i i can't really escape it's always there throbbing inside you coloring your perceptions of the world and sometimes controlling them yeah uh you know uh you know how you talked about the music in the suicide scene not fitting Mm -hmm. did did it bother you when duke was hooking up with the red hair chick and the music's going and then it stops she hits the guitar we hear that sound and then the music starts up right afterwards when after Duke says something. I'll be honest with you. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I tried not to think about the music too much because I really didn't. I really did not like it. And Jerry, you know me. The a score to a movie is very important to me. Yeah, look at the score you gave Alien in in our last episode. Right, and so the score is very important to me. I really did not like the score in this movie. All the way around. I just did not like it. Uh, yeah, and you know I, me. Score does not really matter to me that much at all. And even I was kind of like, eh, there, there's certain choices I really didn't like. I just don't – I feel like that when you're, when you're, when you're making a movie, the, the, the score has to I, – I personally think that the score should be a character in itself to help further the story every single time. If you can do that, if you can get a person to 
or, or the direct or like John Carpenter, the director himself, anybody, if you can get a composer to make a score that helps further along the story and fits into it perfectly, no matter what medium you use, whether it's a kestrel or whether, you know, it's all computer or whatever it is, no matter what you use, if you can do that and accomplish it well, then what you have done is superb. Yeah, like in Jaws. this, right? Jaws, The Exorcist. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Halloween. You know, all these have key notes to them. Even in Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, as it, as out there as it is, because you know, it's it it definitely has its own feel. It still it fits and it helps further along the story. This one, I don't believe it did at all. And you know, I think it was just there for them to think about it. And I, and, and the thing that I hate about it, man, is what happened to the music from, from the first one? Uh, maybe they didn't have the rights to use it or something. I don't know. I mean, because, you know, I'm not saying use the same music because that would be kind of redundant. But, damn, you could have taken it and twisted it a little bit to make it fit further in there. You know, like... um. That I, I, I can't mimic it for the podcast, but like that signature fucking sound that's going on when uh, Crane's driving in the car, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And you got the and you got the shit going behind her from the screen and so on. We all, everybody that's seen Psycho knows what I'm talking about. You know, you could take that and you could twist it and you could bring it down a little bit and you could slow it just a little for like when 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 Norman's going through his instances of you know, uh, arguing with his mom, you could have it in the background, but you could have it going slow or you could have it, you know, kind of twisting back and forth or that dun, 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 you could slow it and, and, and twist it around a little bit when he's doing that or something. You could, you could easily take that and maneuver it to where it would fit perfectly in these movies. And I hate the fact that they didn't do it. Also in the, uh, in the scene where, uh, he's killing the red haired chick in the, in the phone booth, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, that right there to me, aside from the setting, was a complete nod to when he killed Crane in the bathtub. It looked exactly like it, except for it was in color. Yeah, and it's like you know the the only thing I like when I saw that I just kept thinking, see, this is why we don't have phone booths anymore. That yeah, that's a good that's a good thing too. (laughs) But 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 my point, right? It it is a great callback because it uses the same kind of uh, hand shot where you see the hand coming through like it, it does that exact same thing right and but you don't get no re 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 none of that stuff you don't get none of that and i'm like you know you can at least have something in there that fucking nods to it what you know and it sucks if they couldn't get the rights to the music but come on man that's yeah. the, the that's the biggest thing that i think is fucking lacking in, in both of them in two and three except for two i think the music's better than this one yeah and uh, when you first watched this movie, did you catch the $5 bill thing the first yeah. time? Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I did too. I want to give comment to that. Cause, uh, they did a really, really good job of, of having Duke notice the corner being ripped off, putting it in his pocket, then him giving it to the red hair chick. And then, uh, Norman getting that back and putting it back in the cash register and then him note, and then Duke noticing it again, like, cause when I first watched it, um, I didn't like really, really noticed until it was back in the register. And then I had to go back and look at it. And then I was like, Oh my God, they did that so good. It's so, it's, it's a very subtle clue. So it, it's not enough to 
bring down the whole show and be like, he fucking did it. But it's a great little nod that sends Duke on on the, the path that Duke goes. Right. And I got it from I got it from the beginning of it, man. I mean, you know, I didn't. Well, I, I was, once again, for some reason, you're smarter than paying, me. It's not that I'm smarter than you. It's just for some reason, I felt the need to pay attention to the five dollar bill with the corner missing. I should have paid more attention to it, but I didn't. And Duke is smarter than I gave him credit for because originally he goes to Tracy and is like, look, th- look at this shit. And when Tracy's like, oh, that's not enough. That's when he starts scheming on his own. Yeah. And and speaking of Tracy, Tracy like uh, gives us the story of Psycho 2 in this. She gives us information about uh, Miss Spool. And one thing I have to point out, which is a huge cliche even in the 80s, is the fact that Tracy went to the Spool apartment and found a phone number that none of the other fucking cops ever noticed that it was written all over the magazines. Not one of you cops who combed over this, as the landlord said, saw this phone number and was like, uh, let's maybe call it. She wrote it eight times on the cover of a magazine. Yeah, and then when they did call it, and it came up at, you know, the Bates Motel, there's never anything where they went to Norman and was just like, hey, you know, the last number, that, as far as we know, that Spool called was here. Did she come here? Yeah, and I mean, Norman could have easily written it off like, oh, no, but she had my number in case they needed uh, me for work. You know, she probably, I guess she had it written down at home also. Right. And, but that, you know, for all we know, that could have happened. That could have happened in the, in the two months between the two movies. You never know. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the, the dancing scene. Um, we talk about, uh, Norman's sexuality and the, the, the dancing scene between him and Maureen, I really like that scene because it comes off as an innocent romance that that Norman by himself without his mother in his head is is actually really, really innocent. And, you know, it's like when he's like, oh, you know, conservative clothing never goes out of style. And then he takes her uh, dancing and it's such a great moment. And then that great moment is ruined when they cut to the guy playing the piano who looks like a reject Santa Claus that would rape you. He looks like the reason we have <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like, what the fuck? Like, I have to seriously ask, why is that there? That was really creepy and really weird. Was it supposed to show me that even when uh, Norman is is at a good point doing something nice and doesn't seem like there's any bad or negative energy there? Let me cut to this creepy guy so you know, nope, it's not always safe. Like, is the creepy guy supposed to represent the, the, the fact that we need to be reminded that Norman's fucking crazy? Like, I, I, I think it could have went either way, you know? I think because, they could have like, uh, edited that fucking guy out is what I think. Well, when I first saw that, my first thought came to me is I didn't see him as, as creepy as you did, apparently. But my first thought that came to my head was like, okay, this guy sees what they're doing is really beautiful. And then I thought about it again, and then I was just like, well, maybe he knows who Norman is, and he's uh, and he's afraid for her. He or, don't look afraid. He looks... Or, or number three, 
he's playing that piano with one hand and the other hand is somewhere else. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it could be, it could be any of those three things, you know, but yeah, the, you, you can see where my thought process went. So, yeah, I, I just think it's weird. And then we go into them getting back and we already talked about how creepy Duke looked, but then it goes to them in the, in, in her motel room and they're drinking water and, um, uh, th- like, okay. So I remember the first time that I was about to have sex with a living female and I was super nervous. And, uh, cause it's not the same as when you're fucking a dead chick. Like there's no one that's going to judge you there. Dude, dude, I'll be 100% honest with you. And this is not a joke. This is the truth. The first time that I had sex with somebody, I didn't have a chance to be nervous. And it wasn't because I came too fast. It was because that girl jumped on me like a wild animal and fucking rocked my world, dude. I mean, when I got done, I was like, oh, my God. And she, uh, and I looked at her and I was just like, well, obviously you weren't a virgin. <laughs> you did not say that to her. <laughs> Shit, you not. And then we were in a relationship with each other for five years. Uh, wait, is that, uh, uh, the L? Yep. Ah. That would be Laura. Oh, okay. I wasn't going to drop her name because I didn't know if you wanted to drop, but Laura, you're famous now. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome, dude. And, and, you know, I mean, it was one of those things where, I mean, she, she literally, I mean, you know, that was the way it went for me. So I didn't have a chance to really be nervous. Was it, was it like, uh, Norman and Maureen where it's crazy meets crazy and it was just love at first anxiety attack? Something like that, man. I mean, you know, and I'm going to try to keep this brief. Um, my relationship with Laura was one of those things where we, the first time we met each other, it was, I was extremely fucked up. I mean, like fucked up. I come walking into the damn bowling alley, man. And I got my fucking, you know, I got my hairs all fucking greasy and nasty looking. I got my goddamn, uh, my leather jacket on with a wife beater on up underneath it. And I can't remember whether it was jeans with holes in it or shorts with combat boots. I can't remember either way. I go walking in there, man. And I'm talking to a friend of mine and I see Laura kind of peek out from behind her. And you know, Laura's hair was fucking I mean, just blonde. I don't know whether I showed you pictures of Laura, whether you ever met her, but her hair was fucking blonde. And so it like glowed in the darkness of the bowling alley. And, you know, she peeked out from back there and I was like, who the fuck is that? And, and and my friend looked at me and she's like, Oh, that's, that's my brother's girlfriend. And I was just like, why the fuck is she staring at me? (laughs) I know why she was staring at you, you know? And I mean, I was, I was, you know, like I said, I was, I was, I'd probably been up for a day or two. And, uh, you know, she, uh, it was a few weeks later, man. She, she shot me a message on, uh, AOL instant messenger. Oh shit. Back in those aim days. Yeah. Back in the day. And, uh, yeah, it was history from there, man. We started hanging out and, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, (laughs) you're right. It was pretty much crazy. We had met crazy and we, you know, fell in love. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, uh, but when, let's get back into psycho real quick. Uh, I thought we were (laughs) (laughs) because we're both psycho. That's true. Um, but Norman can't actually bang her because the house looming over the hotel is also a representation of his mother looming over him. And he can't 
bring himself to actually bang her. And so she's like, well, let's just lay here. And he starts kind of like, I, I, is he crying? He sounds like he's crying. I don't know, dude. My first thought was that like, you, all right, did you notice that when he had like his arm underneath her, he grabbed a hold of the side of the mattress and really had a hold of it. And then he held it and he squeezed it and then he let go. Yeah. It looked like he, it looked like he came in his pants. <laughs> Maybe that's I'm why not being, like, oh, I'm not, we can't we can't have sex. Um, let's, I'm not being funny. I'm being dead serious. That's exactly what it looked like. And I'm like, okay, did did he finally get to have an orgasm? You know, I, I, I mean, I was kind of looking at that because that, that's exactly what it looks like. You know, it looks like they've got their clothes on. But if you can imagine them without their clothes on and they were going at it, he looks like he just busted his nut. You're because right. he gets real t- he does he gets real real tense you know what i'm saying he's holding on to her she's gripping onto the back of him he's they're, they're real real tense he grabs a hold of the edge of the sheet he holds on to it he, he's just like and then oh, and then he just collapses on top of her yes you can tell when she's like well let's just lay here that he lets go all of his weight on top of her right so either you know, either there's two things that happened here. We can either look at it from a physical standpoint, and I would be correct, and he had an orgasm in his pants, or number two, which would be from the mental standpoint, and I think you're thinking the exact same thing that I'm thinking, that all of his mental stress and everything, he finally got a second to be comfortable enough to let it go. Yeah. He he couldn't bring himself to sex because of his mother looming over but the fact that she still accepted him and was like, well, let's just lay here. And he got to just enjoy the comfort of another human being was so relieving to him. And and she was so comfortable. She fell asleep. We don't know if he fell asleep or not because he left. It's almost kind of like that scene with, with when the girl's holding him in the second one. Where he's talking about the, cheese, the, the, the toasted cheese sandwiches. Oh, yeah. You smell like toasted cheese sandwiches. Right. It's almost like that scene, man, where where it's, you know, you feel bad for Norman because it never seems like that the man gets any real nurturing comfort ever. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, because even when we go into the next scene, him, uh, well, the next scene's a kill. But right after that, he's up there arguing with his mom and, she, you know, Marine comes up and to protect her. While he's holding his knife, he grabs the knife by the blade. And to stop his mom talking, he punches the table while holding the blade in his hand. Now, Ugh. keep in mind, his hand is already already kind of fucked up from the from the second movie. And, I mean, he, he just punches it. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I've heard of, like, using pain to distract you. But, Jesus, this major pain was sitting there like, I don't want to tell you this story. I don't, I, that is not a trick. I'm going to show you. Have you ever cut the inside of your hand like that? Uh, not severely, just like cardboard cuts yeah. and paper cuts, but nothing crazy. Oh no, it sucks. Like I've cut the inside of my finger. I've told you about this before, hadn't I? I For know. people out there, people out there that haven't heard it, I cut the inside of my index finger on my right hand and had to have the tendon reconstructed because it went literally all the way down to the bone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And, dude, it fucking sucks. I can't imagine what it would be like to be holding a blade like that in my hand and punch something, dude. I mean, that would suck. And so for him to use that tactic to try to distract his mind, number one, see, all right, 
that kind of that kind of right there leads you into believing that Norman himself knows that he's crazy. And you know how they always give you that saying that crazy people don't know they're crazy? Yeah. That's almost like what that's almost like an instance where Norman knows that his he knows that his mother is dead. And he knows that it's in his head. And that rhymed. And so he punches the table to get his mother to stop talking. Yeah, it, you're right. It because we go, we see stuff like this. Because if you compare this to Psycho Two and and this, um, Psycho Two, he knows that he his dead mother was him being crazy. Psycho, and then he kills his his new mom. And, and in this movie, he has his new mom's body, and. And he knows he's crazy because look at uh, the difference between when he talks to the cops in Psycho 2 compared to when he talks to the cops in Psycho 3. Uh, in the scene coming up where the cops show up and they're like, um, uh, you know, hey, there's people missing. We got we to gotta deal with this. Um, and then you have in Psycho 2 where like the boy goes missing and the girl tells on him. He's with in Psycho 2. He's like, of course, come in. It's fine. And then, you know, and Mary lies for him and everything. We have the exact same thing happen here, except he knows he's crazy now. And so he's super defensive and is talking really fast. And, and being really defensive is like, oh, you blame me because I'm the crazy one, right? Huh? I'm guilty because I've done it before, huh? And then we have another instance where the chick speaks up for him and, and, and gives him uh, vouches for him and gives him an alibi, even though it's, it's a lie. And this time he knows it's a lie. He knows he did it. Yeah, he hundred percent knows that he's fucking lying. He knows he killed that girl, or that he he him or his mother killed that girl on the toilet, and the missing chick is in the fucking ice cube tray. Uh oh, dude. It, okay, when the cop eats the ice cube with blood on it, how did you not fucking taste that? Like. I don't know, man. Maybe that dude fucking eats his steaks raw all the time or something. I don't know. Yeah, but unless he just got done chewing a piece of raw, you don't put water in your mouth and it tastes like copper. You're not. I guess it does if you're in Flint, Michigan, but not, <laughs> not in fucking uh, California where he's at. California's fucking all hippie and shit. Like. How, I just don't like that's like that's one of the few things that I'm just like what the fuck no that is a that is a classic skeleton crew what the fuck moment like who the fuck no that doesn't make any sense sorry dude are you okay yeah I'm cool that you see you, you did you get bothered I, sort were, of were you laughing I was trying not to trying. Oh, because of the Flint, Michigan thing? Yeah, I was doing my best to not, dude, because it's really not funny, but the way you put it was so hilarious. It's not. It's not. You're a dick. Um, I know. I know. I was really I'm trying not to laugh. I know. So, uh, and, and then right after this, uh, he finds a note from Duke, you know, but it's from his mother, um, and, uh, you know... Marine's left. He doesn't have Marine anymore. And, and now Mother's gone. He can't find fucking Mother. And Duke's got it. And we have a fantastic scene. Just Duke in that room in those darks. 
that dark lighting with his shirt off and he looks like he's been fucking sweating like crazy. Like, yeah, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about goddamn, you don't know whether the motherfucker's all jacked up on coke or he's just fucking shot out. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, it looks like he's, he, he's good. Man. Yeah. It, he looks like I've always battled myself on whether he does drugs or not. He looks like the person who would do drugs. And a lot of times this movie looks like he's on drugs, but you never see him do any drugs. And in this, in, in, in the fucking scene here, he looks like he's all fucking coked out. Right. Um, can we talk about how good of at, at aiming that Norman is? He fucking chunked that ashtray and got dude dead in the middle of his forehead. You know, the only thing I, I, I and I hate to go something that's completely not as serious. But the only thing I could think about when he chunked that ashtray was when uh, dude and Shaun of the Dead hits the zombie in the face with the ashtray. Dude. Oh, my God. You were so right. I, when you were saying it, when, I don't want to go this way. The Right before you said Shaun of the Dead, I just I just uh, saw well, I can't remember what the, the big joke was. Uh, Batman Forever soundtrack? Throw it. Right. You know, I just couldn't, because there's that scene where he just, like, it, where where Ed is in the middle of the living room, and he just walks over to that zombie, and he fucking smashes that ashtray on it, and he's like, did you see his head go? <laughs> yeah, you know? And I hate the fucking, because Psycho 3 is such more of a serious movie, and Shaun of the Dead is fucking hilarious, so it's like, I didn't really want to go that route, but that, I couldn't help it, man. That was the only thing I could think of. You know, it just immediately hit me. No, that's <laughs> that that is that is straight up perfect, to be honest. Um so like they're in this bedroom. Uh Duke gives out his plan and Norman's like, I don't have that kind of fucking money, and he doesn't. Um But I almost thought they were gonna go with a reference to the money from Crane from the first movie. Or it was made to make us think about that. Yeah, but didn't they, all right? Didn't he fucking like? Didn't the money go into the swamp with her or something? Yeah, but maybe Norman went out there and got it or some shit. I don't know because Norman never knew about the money. No, he he just it was wrapped up in the damn newspaper and he put it in the car with her, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then the money, I, the money, I imagine dissolved or whatever until they fucking pulled the car out of the swamp. Yeah, and so, but anyway, it made me think about the money from Psycho 1. Um, so, Duke and and Norman get into it. They have a really good fight. Um, and uh, Norman stabs his dead mother's corpse. How, I did not expect that. Wait, what are you talking about? Um, or you that- that's later on. That's, isn't the, it? that's later on. That's oh, no, the reason no. why I was like, what? Uh, oh, no. What I wanted to get into was uh, right when Norman knocks out Duke and he's talking to his mom, or his mom's, the Woody Woodpecker starts laughing. And yeah. And he accuses his mom to do it. And I'm like, dude, that's a sexual reference right there. Like, Woody Woodpecker is doing his mother's laughter. Let that sink in. <laughs> Like, not even like not only Woody Wood Pecker. It literally, 
is the name of a dick three times. I thought that, like, like that is one of the, like, smartest jokes ever in the history of movies. I don't care what anyone says. I think it's fucking genius. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. Yeah. Um, and then we go into Maureen being all shot out again, and she's like, it was Mother Mary I saw in the window. I've got to help him. This chick. I'm sorry, dude. Okay. Number one, I, I really wasn't too hot about her acting. I really didn't care for it. You know, I, I mean, you know, she did an all right job and she moved it along. I mean, obviously, you know, I've seen far worse acting <clears throat> the Scream series. And, you know, and I'm always going to rag on that series. Are you talking about the TV show? Yeah. Fucking. Oh, she was the ca- she was the acting coach for that show, actually. I imagine because fucking for that the acting in the Scream TV series is fucking horrible. Um, but the uh, you know I really didn't care for hers, but but her so in in my personal opinion, she is. I think she, in her own way, is right up there with Norman. Because hers is the hers is like the majority of the time when it comes to people being crazy, especially people who are schizophrenic, there's always some kind of religious overtone. And since with her being a nun and so on, I would I would honestly believe that she was crazy to begin with. And then the uh, the fact that she became a nun and she did that just added to it. Yeah. And they and both of their crazy has a big part to do with their sexuality. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you got Norman's mom, and then you've got hers, which, you know, God won't let her have sex. And then look at it this way. Norman's mother is God to Norman. Yeah. And, and let's be honest. She could have had sex. Anal is a loophole. Anal doesn't is not seen by God. Hell yeah. Anal loophole. <laughs> We are high class uh, podcasters here on Kill the Cast. <laughs> Woo! Uh, um. Uh. So she leaves to go meet Norman, and we get more of. I mean, like Tracy is here to give us background information, but like I just don't give a shit about her. I really don't either. Um, you know, but the but the bad part about that is, is I never I didn't really care about her character throughout the whole movie, but her character is like the the fucking. The pinnacle at the end. Of, at the end, yeah. So, and you know, we're really close to the end. There's one big scene we got to take care of before we get to the grand finale, and that is uh, Norman uh, getting the girl out of the icebox, getting Duke uh, in the car, and driving that car into the fucking swamp. And after he breaks himself off a piece of that Kit Kat bar, uh, breaking off the chick's arm, which I thought was hilarious, even though they did not show it, I was. Really upset they didn't show it because I really wanted to see it, but the snapping in his and the look on his face probably did a way better job than what they could have done with special effects. Fuck yeah, man! Classic Universal old yes. school movie style. Yeah, you know, and that's another thing that both that I, I do both of these movies, you know, first one included. So all three of them. You know, have a lot of those old nods to those fucking older movies, man. A lot. Yes. And and, and so he gets the, them two in there, and Duke wakes up and tries to kill him. And he fights back and, and, and everything like that. And he's holding Duke down in the floorboards with his foot. 
and then he crashes into the water. It, as soon as that water hits, I fall in love with this scene. I think the sinking of the car looks beautiful. I think the the fear on Duke's face. Yeah, this whole scene's my favorite. My favorite scene in the movie. Convincing, like, and then him uh, getting out of the car and and creature from the Black Lagoon style trying to get out of all this fucking tumbleweed and and moss and shit down there. And you see the bike, which I always was wondering if there was a reference there I didn't get. I think I I was trying to figure that out myself. There's definitely got to be a reference to the bicycle somewhere. But I I looked on on stuff and I couldn't find anything saying anything about the bicycle. It's got to be it's got to be something. And I was trying to figure it out. It's got to be something. But that goes into what I was going to say about that scene. What makes it if they would have just had a little bit more time and a little bit more money, you could have done something amazing with that scene. Because I love that scene anyway. But you could have done something absolutely amazing with it, man. You could have you could have with Norman swimming through there, man, you could have told the entire psycho story up until this point by him going through the water in that fucking swamp. Well, they couldn't show stuff that they've already pulled out of the swamp, though. Because they've right, drained but but the swamp that, in two, two movies already. Right, but there could have been other things that were left in there uh, that, would have, that would have done it. And then on top of that, you got to think, man, this is where Norman, and as well as other people, have been dumping bodies for the entirety of this series up until this point. So... Okay, Norman is crazy and sees shit all the time anyway. So how come we couldn't, as he was swimming through there or whatever, have like a fucking mental fucking breakdown homage kind of thing to all the death that has come around him and been thrown into that swamp? Just because they've dragged the shit out of there doesn't mean Norman can't see it in the water. That's very true. You know what? That made me think of something. What if the bicycle is a representation of him as a child and how... He was so restricted from doing anything that a bicycle would have represented freedom. And his freedom is at the bottom of this swamp along with everything else he's had to do for his mother. Yeah. And because right after the bicycle, we get the red hair chick popping up uh, fucking Jaws style. Ben Gardner's boat fucking scaring mm-hmm. him. And and now that I think about it, if unless someone tells me otherwise, I will forever now that bicycle is a representation of his freedom. His his childhood he never got because of his mother, and it was down at the swamp, just like everything else he's had to sacrifice and do for his mother. I made a, I made a manifest way you want to look at it. Look at it that way. Because that bike, okay, no matter – I don't give a shit what anything says on the internet. That bike had to have been there for some kind of reason. And it's – I'm telling you, the, the, the reason is the representation of his childhood. It's a metaphor, fool. It, it, and you may very well be true. I am, you know, I am damn true, Kenneth. Don't question me on things I claim to know I'm not question- that I I'm came not up with right now. <laughs> I'm not questioning you at all because I thoroughly believe that that bike has a has a reason. And since I can't come up with one right now, yours is as good as any. Yeah. Um. Because it's just too it's too predominantly in the shot, and there's nothing else down there. It'd be different if there was a bunch of other trash down there, but the only thing you see is that bicycle and that bitch in the box. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. So anyway, that whole scene just looks fucking beautiful. We both love that scene. I'm in agreement with you. I think I, as soon as the car hits the water 
until he gets out. I love that scene. It is. I'm probably with you on that being my absolute favorite scene. I do have. I well, I don't know. It's between that or the scene where he discovers the chick on the toilet who's dead, and it shows him in green, and then shows the owl in green because I really like that. But that's really small because it's only that segment that I like. Hey. Um, so, uh, Maureen comes back to the house after we get a scene of Tracy putting everything together and we find out that, uh, Mrs. Spool was not Norman's mother, but it was Norman's sister's, uh, Norman's mother's sister. And she was in love with Norman's mother's f- husband. And I guess they were banging or not banging. Anyway, she killed the husband. That's why she got put away. And, um, and I guess that's what made Norman's mom go fucking crazy and treat her son like this. I guess. But anyway, we find out all that information and I I just think the whole family's crazy. She is Mrs. Plot device. She is here just to move the plot. She is here to make me feel better about the ending of Psycho 2. Cause like I said, originally I did not like this ending of Psycho 2 until Psycho 3 and that made it better. And her explaining everything makes Psycho 2 better. That's why I feel you have to watch both these movies together. Um, yeah, I see. I think I think that just gives a whole lot of depth to the fact that crazy runs in the family. I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, have you met Because I think... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Norma was crazy. Actually, I think your dad's pretty cool. Um, I think Norma was crazy. Uh, Mrs. Spool was crazy because I can't remember her first name. I think I want I want to say it's Emma Emma Spool. Yeah. Okay. And so she's crazy. You know what I'm saying. And then obviously Norman's crazy. So you know, uh, the only difference between Nor- uh, Norma and Emma is that Emma actually went to the nut house, and I can't remember. I don't think Norma went to the nut house. No, she got killed first. Um, right. So we now have Maureen showing up to the house. She arrives there. They make sure to specifically show us the Sherub statue as she goes up the stairs. And she goes up there and and it looks like everything's about to go well. But then Norman hears the voice of his mom, turns and accidentally knocks her down. And we have a uh, an homage to the first Psycho, which is also the worst scene in the first Psycho, is now the worst scene in Psycho 3 because... Y'all should have hired a stunt actor in the first Psycho because that falling down the stairs scene was fucking horrible. I don't know if uh, I thought it was great. Oh God, no! I don't know what I Hitchcock thought it was great was doing with that high. I, don't, uh, I thought it was great in that one, and I thought it was great in this one. Ugh, ugh. Um, I love the way it looked. I thought it was awesome. Uh, but, I'm not uh, a fan. Um, but and, she looked. She looked like Crane from the first one. She had to die. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's funny that her death was a mistake, but it was still caused by mother. Or not a mistake, it was an accident, but it was still technically caused by mother. Yep, and she had to die. And she had to die. Sounds like Watson talking, uh, doing our Kill the Cast commercial. And the, and did the, it was the detective that fell down the stairs in the first one, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Um, and so now we have... Um, Tracy showing up and we have dialogue bouncing back between Tracy and Norman. And it's just her ex- re-explaining everything that we just found out to Norman. Um, but 
Here, I have a question for you. When the hell did Norman have time to set up all these candles and set up her body as a shrine? Like, did it take her an hour to get there? Like, take Tracy an hour to get there so he had all this time to do this? Because it doesn't seem like it. I don't know, man. Norman can accomplish some shit in a short amount of time. Well, that's what happens when you have two people in your head. Um, yeah, man. But two um, heads better than one. It will, I love the scene where we get to see Norman dressed as his mom and talking as his mom. It is, it is like us looking face to face with the the mental illness he has throughout this whole movie is a physical representation of it and we get to see it face to face eye to eye we get to look deep at it uh you can't there is no second guessing anymore nothing you see it clear as day right in front of you and i love it it is what we need at the end of this movie because it helps give this movie such a solid conclusion yeah, the look on his face, the grin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty good. And I have to say, I think of Tracy one credit. I actually liked her yelling at Norman at the end of this movie. For some reason, I just was like, get him, Tracy. You fucking tell him. I haven't given a shit about you this entire movie. But all of a sudden, I'm on your side. Um, right. But, yeah. but and Then he starts stabbing the dead body of his mom. And all the, the, the bird seed or sawdust is coming out. And... As soon as he's done and you see him like kind of fall down and start laying down, you can see all the rage, all the sadness, and, and all of the exhaustion just start leaving him. Just it comes to the surface and then just just leaves. You feel relieved for him. Almost yeah. like the bed scene earlier. As all his see, weight comes down, but now it truly can go away. Yeah, and see that's what makes the the line that he uses, you know, when the when uh, the the sheriff's talking about him going to jail and he says, "But I'm free." It, that's what makes it that much more powerful. But then he pulls out his mom's broken arm and starts petting it while looking at the camera and giving the psycho smile. It is like that is the psycho smile. That is the Anthony Perkins psycho smile. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I promise you that when you get around to watching four, because of the way that that one ended, the fourth one will not make any fucking sense to you at all. I've already heard that because of, because of the skeleton crew thing. And I think that's why I've never watched it because I'm just like, cause like you're never getting out Norman, but then he gets out and, and, and calls into a television show. I don't fuck a radio show. What the fuck? I don't know what the fuck. I don't know. It's like a, it's a, it's like a radio show. I've actually got that one going right now. Cause I just started the next one, but uh-huh. I mean, I mean, you know, there's there's only a short amount of time in between the two, and at the beginning of this one, he's like in this nice-ass fucking house, and he's making dinner for his wife and whatever, and it's all the other kind of shit, and I'm just like, yeah, that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. If that if that is your piss-poor, horrible way of trying to get, get to where Norman can tell the story of before the first Psycho movie, goddamn, you fucked that shit up. It's like, let's just wait, you know, however many years it was until the Bates Motel TV show comes out and we'll just let that be the definitive. Yeah. And, and so let's let's now that we've pretty much walked through the movie, we, we jumped a little bit. but We went through it. Uh, do Kenneth, do you feel like people are justified saying that Psycho 3 is not as good as Psycho 2 and it's, it's just a sleazy slasher? No. 
I mean, I knew you were going to say no, but I wanted people to hear it because Kenneth is smart and he knows. Be like Kenneth. <laughs> I don't think that people look in. Uh, you know, it goes back to what I've said before. You know, don't give don't give your common everyday audience that much credit because they're not going to see the big picture. All they're going to see is what's on the surface. Yeah, and and making a sequel to Psycho twenty years later was a big risk, but in hindsight, Psycho two plays it a lot safer than oh, I just burped. Uh, Psycho three does. Psycho three takes a much bigger risk, but to me, it pays off because Psycho three is way more entertaining. Um, even though I like the murder mystery of the second movie, it just doesn't feel like Norman is the star of the movie. Um, this one is, is way faster, more entertaining. And yes, there are sleaze factors to it. The lighting of certain rooms does make it feel a little less classy, but it also puts you more into the mental state of Norman. But the, the second, the psycho two is comfortable. Psycho three is uncomfortable. It doesn't want you to, to feel like that. And, and it's, and I feel like it's a much it is a great ending. It is a very satisfying conclusion to the series. If they would have never done anything else for Psycho after Psycho 3, I would have been completely... I'd be okay with that because Psycho 3 is a good bookend to the Norman Bates uh, it's a, world. I, I agree. It's a great trilogy. I think that Psycho 2 is a good bridge. It's like a bridge between two islands. Yes. That's what I think it is, and I think the two islands, you know, have differences between the two of them, but they're virtually the same style of island, almost like you know, almost like a bridge between two of the two of the islands in Hawaii. There's they're both fucking volcanoes, but goddamn, you got to have the bridge between the two of them, and that's exactly what I think. And so, you know, uh, I I agree with you. I think standalone, the first three movies would have been fine, and there, and as long as Bates Motel, the TV series, had been the only thing after that. I think it would have been fine. Yeah, and then and like, and Psycho Three does hit you in the face more, especially when it first starts. Your first introduction to the first two characters are very, very in your face. But then when you get to the introduction of Norman, it's so subtle with him just uh, picking up dead birds because he's poisoned them so that he can he can stuff them. Like it's so subtle, and at that point the movie starts calming down and is less in your face and and. It's still more in your face than anything in Psycho 2, but once you get past the kind of jarring beginning of Psycho 3, this is a great movie and is so, so fucking underrated. I agree. It's completely underrated, man. I think... I think that if people would really, you know, I, I know a lot of times there's those fucking people out there that dive so far deep into uh, a movie that we get, you know, documentaries like uh, that room, oh, whatever room it was. Oh, room 237 for The Shining? Yeah, you know, you, you got people out there that dive so far into stuff, man, that you get movies like that. But this one, I really believe that if people would take the time to think about it, the stuff that, that, that comes to mind for me, and so a lot of it's hard for me to describe. That stuff that comes to mind for me would be a lot easier for people to see if they would just give it a chance. Yeah, look past it just being a an a, a 80s slasher. Look at it in the same reverence that you look at the original Psycho. Right, you know, and it may be, it may be a little more in your face, and it may be, you know... It, it, Obviously, it's not quite as slow as the first one and so on, but 
when it really comes down to it, you know, I agree with you. You know, you could put it in the same box because it definitely is very deep. But, you know, I guess it really just depends on the person and what kind of time they're going to want to put into into uh, into doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, Kenneth, so, so let's rate this movie. Uh, standard Netflix ratings, one through five. What do you give Psycho 3? Five. I loved it. I, you know what? I'm with you. A five. I love this movie. Um, it pro- it won't make my like top ten favorite horror movies of all time, but it would make my top twenty. Um, it it probably made my top twenty. It, and it's mostly because I don't have any nostalgia for it because I didn't discover it till later on. But I will say, if someone was like, "You, hey, put on a Psycho movie," any any of the movies, Psycho three would probably be the one I would put on. It probably would be for me, too, even though I love the first one. You know, uh, it's another one of those that, because of the way it's shot and its style, but I believe that you've got to be in the right kind of mood for it versus the third one, where the third one has a lot of the same nods and a lot of the same tones as the first one. It's a really good ride. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's Psycho 3. That's Kenneth and I talking about Psycho 3. Uh Shout out to um, Alex of uh, the Skeleton Crew. And shout out to the Skeleton Crew. They did a wonderful retrospective on the Psycho series. Um, and there's a good chance that uh, Kenneth and I said some s- same things they did. Um, I haven't listened to their retrospective um, in like a y- year. or It was like early last year when I listened to it. But so I, I haven't listened to it recently. So we might have said a few things that they've said. But I'm really, really glad we did it because uh, we went hard on Psycho 3. Like, if you don't want to go see, if you don't want to watch Psycho 2 and 3 now, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, because when it really comes down to it, I mean, you know, me and Jerry didn't even, we did our best to try to hit all the points that we have. I have five pages of notes and could have kept going. Yeah, we we probably could have talked about this movie uh, for four hours. But we don't do that on Kill the Cast. We try to we try our best to stay under two hours, because um, uh, we want to be a short form podcast for people out there. Um, I mean, because we're working on two hours now. Anyway, people should look out for each other, don't you think? I mean, we sometimes get lost, but if there'd only been someone looking out for us to help us understand, maybe we wouldn't do some of the sad, awful things we do. Dude, did I tell you that I got the weirdest fucking voicemail? I did you give my number out to to someone that like is a uh, fan of this show? I might have. Why, I don't know. Why would you do I that? Because it'd be funny. <laughs> I okay. Well, it it must have been because I got a real. I got um like six voicemails all in Dude, a row. Dude, I can't. I can't remember everything I do just at at, at your expense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what? After the show, you and I need to have a talk because I don't I need to know what the extent of this is. Anyway, we'll get into that later. But I I got these voicemails from this guy. And it's like, you know, when someone texts you and they send you like six text messages, but it's not because it's a really long text messages. It's all like one or two line shit like they have to hit enter before they finish their thoughts. That's what this was. Okay. Okay. Here's the first clip. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it right now. Yeah, I don't know, man. This show's just a really great time, you know. 
I could listen to it all night. And I have. Okay, kid, you heard that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is he trying to seduce us? What's going on here? Like... I don't know what the guy's doing, but, you know, he you know, he did kind of get my heart going a little bit. Okay, so then I realize with the net, he calls back. He leaves another one. Now, listen to this. The best part was when you talked about Bell Lugosi throwing the knife at the cat. That was so cool. I mean, the way he described it, man. And how he didn't even react. It's crazy, man. Okay, so obviously he listened to uh, the Black Cat that you and I did. Um, which was a fantastic, one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, you had never seen it. And you loved that movie. It's so much fun doing that episode. But for some reason, how we explained Bella throwing a knife at a cat was what this guy just, just focused on. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I mean, he seemed like he just absolutely loved it, man. And I mean, I'm glad I could do that for the guy. Okay. Well, um, it gets a little creepier. Listen to this. I don't normally listen to shows over and over, but when I discovered Kill the Cast because of you and your Hulu account, I said, Jerry Herring, man. He's one of the special ones. I know you've seen a lot and heard a lot throughout the years, but he's the one, man. He's the one. Okay, so he has apparently listened to our show multiple times over. I think he's talking about he's listened to the same episode over and over and over. And then he starts just going on like I'm Neo from The Matrix and I'm just the one. Like as soon as he heard me that I had become Jesus Christ to him. And now I'm, I'm creeped out. Yeah. Well, that motherfucker better take a step back. Cause you're my bitch. Yeah. Motherfucker. So anyway, it, it gets, it gets kind of funny now. Um, he has something to say for everyone who, uh, doesn't like what I have to say about nightmare on Elm street. Listen to what he said. When Jerry talks about, how A Nightmare on Elm Street isn't that good. And you guys get all sensitive about it. You're just a bunch of pussies, man. That movie is technically not that good, man. It was iconic. It was a great concept. But we all know that. It was really flawed. Freddy kind of sucks that way he's a great idea with a lot of bad movies man you gotta face the truth stop living in a dream you're living a nightmare you're living a fantasy man okay so he uh, uh he's obviously uh, white knighting for me at this point and, um, is not, not, is on my side that Freddy is a great concept, but in execution does not work. Well, um, I can, I, I can say as much as I love, uh, Freddy, I, I have to say that if I'm not mistaken, the last time that did not give 
a couple didn't i give way to a couple of the thoughts that you had because didn't when we were doing that episode didn't i kind of i was like oh yeah you're right well you know and then i kind of fucking swallowed my own foot you did you were man enough to admit it that i was right which is very very nice of you um, it, I mean, because I don't think Nightmare, I still don't think Nightmare is a shitty movie. I enjoy it. But technically, both of you motherfuckers are right. It's yeah. not It's not the greatest movie, technically. Okay, so, well, he has something else to say about uh, the classic Universal Monster movies. Uh, here's his thoughts on that. You guys go around saying that you're not into classic horror. You know what it tells everyone else? So you don't know what the fuck you're talking about when you talk about anything. You don't even know the foundation of what you're talking about. You sound like a clown, man. Okay, so apparently if you do not like the Universal Monster Classics, uh, you are Jon Snow. You know nothing. You need to shut the fuck up. Um, now, I don't completely agree here. You can. It's good to know your foundation and your basics. Um... But I, I think that's a bit aggressive. Um, Maybe just a little bit, you yeah. know. I mean, you got to give a little leeway room to some people. Yeah. I mean, you know. You didn't give him Jay's number, did you? Because um, I feel like that was almost targeted at Jay. I don't know. To, I, to be I'm, fair, I'm say Jay gave the Universal Classics a shot. It's not his thing, but he did give him a shot. And he is still willing to do more. But then he left me um, a voicemail, and this is the last one I got. And it is a weird topic, and uh, it, it it ends even weirder. Um, listen to to what he says. He I don't even just listen. So I was thinking, like, uh, whose penis would you rather have, Freddie or Jason? I think that Freddy's penis is, like, all burned up, man. He probably can't even get hard anymore. Otherwise, he's going to pop the skin. And Jason's dick, it probably looks like a dried-up tree root at this point. I wonder what Jason's dick smells like. I'm going to find out right now. (laughs) I mean, you're laughing, but what the fuck? Who... Who the fuck cares about, like, this is like Brody from Mallrats wondering about right? the thing's penis. That's, that's exactly what, what did I'm he saying. just say about Freddy Krueger's penis? <laughs> that, that it would probably be all kind of melted, like, and then if he got a heart on, the skin would pop. What the fuck? And then he said Jason's <laughs> dick is a dry tree root by yeah. now. But then he ends it by saying he's going to go find out what they smell like. Oh my god. Like he's just about to walk up to him and be like, Let me smell your dick. Hey man. Let me smell your dick. Like Hey whatever whatever works for you, man. That kinda uh, reminds me of uh what's that movie with Tyrese Baby Boy where where his chick was just like, Let me smell your dick. Yeah, exactly. Like what the (laughs) fuck? So don't I haven't like this happened like a week ago I got these voicemails and I didn't know if I was gonna share them or what I was gonna do. I was creeped out. And I was like, maybe if I just don't say anything, nothing will happen. And I haven't heard back. So, we'll see if he says anything else to this. Um, uh, Mystery Man, I, I'm I'm super stoked that you got my back on Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Um, I'm really glad you love the show, and I'm and uh, you might be a little aggressive on the Universal Classics. Um, and I don't want to know what their dicks smell like, to be honest with you. Um, but I guess if you find out, let us know, because that's not opening myself up to more weird fucking voicemails. Right. Uh, so, with that, Kenneth, you got anything else to add to this? You know, when it really comes down to it, I just hope people that haven't seen these two movies and people that have both ways. If you haven't seen them, go ahead and see them. Um, and if you have seen them, go back and give it another watch and really take time to, you know, spend some time with Norman himself. Try to try to put yourself in his psyche. And Jerry talks about it all the time. And both of us do this where we try to put ourselves in the position of the characters and if you, you really need to try to put yourself in the position of Norman. And and once you do that, you'll learn so much stuff about it. Yes, 100%. And after you listen to this um, and you watch the movies and you, you, you want a little more, go listen to the Skeleton Cruise Retro. I will leave a link down in the description of this for you to uh, on Podbean to be able to check out that episode. It is fantastic. I might actually go back and listen to it again now. Um, because yeah, it was really good. It's, it, it was really good. Now I'm in the mood for it. Um, and uh, mystery voicemail guy, uh, I would love to know what you feel, how you feel about Kenneth. Let's let's have you leave me a voicemail about Kenneth, and because you've creeped me out, so now creep out him. <laughs> um, other than that, I that was it. Um, we will see you. Uh, I know I said the next episode was going to be The Last House on the Left with Mr. Watson, and that is still happening, but uh, when Kenneth and I can record, sometimes we just like to jump on and record. We hope y'all like that. So the next episode should be Last House on the, Le- the Left with Watson of Horror Corridor with me, Kenneth, and Jay. Um, other than that, thank you for joining us. Um, check us out on Facebook. Check us out um, on our Facebook group. Um, facebook.com slash kill the cast and facebook.com slash group slash kill the cast um, join us we have a lot of fun we talk a lot of shit in there it's it's a it's it's a good time um, and that's it we will see you next time for the last house on the left good god son you'll never get out again they're gonna have you locked up forever but I'll be free. I'll finally be free. <laughs>